Hi, I'm Patricia Grabarek. And I'm Katina Sawyer, and welcome to the Worker Being Podcast. So today, Katina is going to tell us about a really interesting article that has to do with um, language and different languages in the workplace. So we'll dive into that in a minute. But first, I want to see how you're doing and how your feet are healing. Yeah, my uh, feet are getting there. I was <laughs> doing some uh, more rigorous exercises at PT today. Um, so that's good. I have a feeling when I eventually get back to the gym, I'm going to be very pathetic, but, <laughs> yeah, <it's> but okay. <laughs> yeah, but that's okay. Um, but yeah, cause like even today I was doing just like sets of 10, like regular squats. And at the end I was like feeling kind of sweaty and I was like, what the heck? Like I've been, <laughs> I've been sitting around too long. Um, but I can finally walk again, like with a, like I'm, I'm out on the town and I'm going to start driving again, um, Yay. which is awesome. Yeah. So that's just been Uber's been taking like way too much of my money. Um, <laughs> so I'll be happy to I have like some like crazy like I don't even know status Uber status now um, <laughs> from <laughs> going through all of this. So uh, I better um, I better end up with uh, something something good at the end of the day for all the money I've given them. But I, I will soon not not be giving them as much of my money, which I'm happy about. So it's yeah. nice that there's something like that, though. Like imagine, you know, I guess even 10 years ago when Uber yeah, didn't totally. exist, would you have to be like physically calling a cab? Like that would just I take know. so much more time. <laughs> I know. No, it's crazy. I was just talking to someone um, the other day. Speaking of languages and cross-cultural differences, um, I was just talking to someone the other day who was saying that he has to go to um China a lot for work and in China they don't have Uber mm-hmm. or like anything like it and so he was saying like it's kind of crazy because you get so used to being able to like just get around like okay I'm in a place I don't know but I can figure out how to get from point A to point B because I'll just get picked up by somebody and he was <laughs> saying like it's funny how much we've adapted so fast to that idea that mm-hmm. like having to find yourself a ride or plan ahead for transportation is just like not something that we do anymore and it's like jolting when you're like wait I don't know how I'm gonna get to my next place and like I it's a harder problem to solve than it seems yeah I mean I kind of was thinking about that with maps too like I can't remember what I was watching oh my god but it took place in like the 70s or something and I was like I I mean we never really drove before GPS was a thing. No. You know, so I just like I don't even understand the concept of trying or at least MapQuest. I think MapQuest is what we were really using. That's like yeah. I think, well, the first thing I use. I like print out my MapQuest directions before right. I had to go somewhere new. And yes. like before that you had to like literally look at a map and be like, Okay, well this is where I need to go and these are the streets I should be like I just can't even imagine like all no. those steps that you have to take just no, to get somewhere. Totally. Like we're so spoiled. <laughs> I know I know it's totally true and and also just like I don't know how to get anywhere <laughs> mm-hmm. which is really bad like I mean I think if I was in an emergency and I had to read a map or something I could do it but you know I just feel like yeah I've always had either like a piece of paper or something telling me where to go I feel like uh one, one time when I was in high school I used to r- drive every day in the summer to my summer job, which was like literally 10 minutes away from my house. Mm -hmm. And one day the road was closed that I usually took. And I grew up like in that area. (laughs) I mean, I've always lived there and I just like pulled over and called my mom. And I was like, I don't know how to get to work. Like, 
the roads closed and she was like <laughs> what do you mean just go a different way and I was like I don't know a different way like she was like you've lived here your whole life like you can't think of another way to get to where you're going and I was like no I sincerely I can like I don't know where I'm I don't know where I am right now she was like this is the craziest thing but I feel like that's how I am everywhere now it's just like I even if I know where I'm going I will put it in the GPS because I want to know if there's a faster way. Yeah. Or I want to know. I'll put it into like Google Maps just to see if there's traffic. Like I want to know the estimated time that I'll get there. Like it gives you more information. Mm-hmm. So I feel like I do it even if I know where I'm going, which means that even if I've driven to, to someplace fairly local four or five times, sometimes I don't know. Fully what, remember. Like, fully yeah. remember. Yeah. Yeah. It's bad. Well, Allie, our producer, is going to listen to this and know exactly who I'm going to bring up. But our good friend Rachel from high school is, I mean, we always make fun of her for this exact same thing because she grew up in the valley and she still can't get from her childhood house to Allie's childhood house. (laughs) And like they're not far from each other at all. I mean, all of high school and since then, she's gone back and forth to Allie's parents' house, like, all the time. And she still can't do it. Like, she still gets lost getting there. And we make fun of her so much because there's literally no reason. And the valley is, like, a grid. It's, like, literally a perfect grid, pretty much. So it shouldn't be that hard to get anywhere. (laughs) And she's just so terrible at directions um, that she literally puts in her GPS every time she has to go to Allie's parents' house. And it makes me laugh. And that just reminds me of that. It's, like, the same thing like um there's no reason why she can't get there but she (laughs) grew up there her whole life and yeah just like you one little change and she would get very lost for sure (laughs) that's awesome that's really really funny um yeah I don't know technology is a very good thing and not as good of a thing um in other ways but yeah but anyway uber takes a lot of my money um but (laughs) Uh, but I did want to hear how your shoulder and ankle are feeling because you also were like falling <laughs> apart. <laughs> I know we are. Um, well, luckily I will say that luckily my, what I did was elective to deal with previous sur- injuries. So I, um, got a PRP, which is like a procedure to help heal, um, like tissue and ligament types of injuries. And I got it done on my shoulder because I tore my rotator cuff about four or five years ago. And then I got it done on my ankle because my ankle, I just constantly spray my ankle. I have had major issues with my ankle um, over, I mean, I think the first time I ever sprayed my ankle was like in eighth grade. And it's just been nonstop for ever since then because it just, you know, I did a really, really bad sprain and it's been weak and awful ever since. So this is supposed to help with that. Um, and we went to Florida cause Danny's dad did the procedure cause he's a sports medicine doctor and is awesome. Um, and it's also really nice to have a doctor in law to help me out. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so I got those done. I guess it's been a week. Um, the recovery is not bad from this type of procedure. I mean, basically what they do is they just like take out your blood and they spin it around and they put like all the good stuff back into the injury sites. So Mm. it's really just all needles. It's not like a surgery or anything like that. Um, My shoulder's sore, definitely. And I'm not like supposed to be lifting it above, like lifting my arm above my head, at least for the first two weeks. So Mm -hmm. it does limit my motion and it feels really weird. And I like can't wash my hair or put a ponytail up or anything like that. Like weird little things like that. I use your shoulder way more than I ever, ever, ever thought you did. Yeah. Totally. 
So that's weird. But my ankle feels totally fine. Um, I have to actually just like remember that it's not fine, that I'm supposed to be like taking it easy on it because I don't feel any pain in it at all. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's about six weeks of recovery. Two weeks is kind of like keeping it relatively slow. Then you start PT and then by the end of six weeks, you're up and running good as new. And it's not like I can't walk or anything like yours was obviously a million times worse and clearly not elective by any stretch. Well, <laughs> well I elected to have them fix it, but I did not. Elect <laughs> them. I did not elect to have it happen. True. True. Um, yeah. I feel like you just don't realize how much you use stuff until you can't use it. And then you're mm-hmm. like, wow, this is this is quite sucky. But at yeah. the same time. Um, I'm happy that you're, you know, it does, the, the time does go fast. And even though it was 10 weeks ago now that I broke that, my feet, like it feels like that, even though it was like annoying that whole time, it feels like it went pretty fast. So I'm lucky that I'm still able to use them in life. Just temporary, temporary setback. I don't know when I'll be able to like not be like sad and weak at doing exercises but I guess Uh, we'll do one thing at a time yeah I mean that stuff takes time but I think it's normal and you know you'll work your way up I mean from when you first started doing those kinds of workouts you know it's like you were always doing that the type of stuff that you do for your whole life so that's true um you'll you'll get there it'll be fine and kind of feeling the same way but you know, honestly, I'm like really happy that I did it. At first, I was like nervous because I just I really, 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 really hate needles. Like I know I saw your <laughs> I saw your Instagram story or Danny's Instagram story. Oh, uh, he was so mean. He was just like filming everything I know that was happening. And I yeah, I did not I share it message. on Worker Bean because that would have been horrifying yeah. for all of you. <laughs> I, sent, I sent him a message and I was just like, she is going to kill you because he was just like, there's Patricia like going to her death <laughs> yeah, I know it was so bad and like I didn't look at the needles until I saw his stories later and I was like oh my god those needles were so big but I just luckily yeah. I didn't see them during that because I closed my eyes and like I was yeah whatever I'm really a big baby when it comes to needles but yeah. um I'm glad I, I did like it because I think I think it'll help like I think you know I have like these kind of recurring pains here and there and then if I'm spreading my ankle like once a year, which is actually not an exa- too much of an exaggeration, then that means I'm out, uh, you know, out from doing anything for like three, four weeks right. every year. So now yeah. it's like, okay, I do the six weeks of recovery and if I can take care of it and make and help it heal, then hopefully I won't have that recurring issue and, and then I won't have to be out for the count every yeah. year for a few weeks here and there. Plus you got filled with like super blood, which is cool. <laughs> <laughs> sure sure I keep telling Brendan I'm like I have a like metal ankle now like I am slowly turning bionic like this is <laughs> this is the phase one of me turning fully bionic uh, <laughs> hopefully there aren't other phases that you can just stay with just the ankle and that and become be super ankle lady and that's about it yeah yeah <laughs> I mean it takes a lot of hard work to become bionic or to get mm. super blood I don't I don't like needles either but yeah. I always have to watch them I have to watch it happen yeah like <sighs> I don't know oh. why I just like I can't let it just happen I have to watch it that's bizarre to me I like I have to pretend it's not happening 
I yeah. like closed my eyes. I like was I literally was like doing breathing exercises. Danny's dad yeah. was like, "You're making me nervous with like the way you're breathing." I was like, "I'm breathing in a calming fashion. <laughs> this is the way you're supposed to breathe." <laughs> like, come on, <laughs> this is a this is called meditation here, right here. I'm yeah, just trying right. to like, ooh. <laughs> um, but I think it was just because I was being a big baby. He was like, "Oh God." Uh, I'm sure it's yeah. not easy to like do this kind of stuff on, you know, yeah. family members yeah, versus right. like a yeah. random person. So right. I agree. Yeah. I'm pretty no. sure he like numbed my shoulder more than he does for the average person because yeah. I think he was so scared of me and my freak out of needles. <laughs> <laughs> you're like, you're a terrible doctor. Ah. <laughs> um, no, that's really funny. Yeah. I don't, I don't know why I feel like I have to like monitor what's going on, but I, I've always been that way since I was little. Like I just, I don't like it, but I I have to. I don't I don't know anything about whether they're doing it properly or not. But I I for some <laughs> reason I have to monitor it. Like I I have to know what's going on. That's so um, weird. Yeah, it is pretty weird. I I'm not really quite sure where that urge comes from, but you know, well, we've all got our things. Yeah, I can't look at it. You have to look at it. I mean, yeah, we're just neither is really weirder than the other. No, they're I guess both. the weirdest one would be continuing to alternate between looking and not looking yeah. <laughs> a combination of us would be the weirdest agreed agreed you pick one and you stick to it that would freak that would freak the doctor out bad yeah I'd be like are they looking or are they not looking are they looking or are they not looking oh yeah. yeah no no no. i i'm good just not not looking at it i get like wheezy like wheezy not wheezy wheezy queasy, <laughs> queasy, queasy. Wheezy. whatever <laughs> Not wheezy. That would, I mean, that would really freak the doctor out. I think that would be a different problem. Yeah. They'd be like, wait a second. Something's (laughs) happening to the respiratory system right now. I don't know why the needle is doing that, but. (laughs) Oh, wheezy. Um, Anyways. We've, we've really gone far afield of our, of our topic uh, today. Topic today. None of this conversation has anything to do with what we're going to talk about. <laughs> well, why don't you tell us what we're going to talk about? What is the sure. article called and all the good stuff about it? Sure. So the article is called Mind Your Language, The Effects of Linguistic Ostracism on Interpersonal Work Behaviors. And it just came out recently. So it's in press um, at the Journal of Management. And it's by uh, Fizet and Bave. Um, and it is, uh, brand, brand, brand new. So, uh, I first saw it and downloaded it and decided to, uh, talk about it, uh, just only a few days ago. Cool. Okay. So it sounds fancy, this linguistic ostracism. What is it? Um, it's basically the idea that there are lots of different countries represented now in our workforce and uh, people every day are working with people, and probably a lot of our listeners are working with people that come from uh, different national origin than they do. And sometimes you might work with other people that come from the same national origin as they do, or maybe there's someone else in the uh, workplace who comes from different national origin, and maybe you and all your colleagues mostly speak English. Um, most companies pick a language that they consider a common country language, but it's very common that people will speak their native language to other people that are from their same native country Um, and what this is about is that people should really be more mindful 
about other people who may not speak the language that you speak or speak it as fluently, um, that you may be having conversations with people that's in a language that you understand and the other individual understands, but some other people in your workplace might not. And when you sort of leave people out of a conversation because they can't understand as well or can't understand at all what people are saying, um, it has negative consequences for how they feel about themselves in the workplace. That makes a lot of sense. So it's basically like, if I'm feeling like I can't understand what people are talking about around me, then I'm going to feel like an outsider, which is the whole right. ostracism piece. So I'm an outsider. And there's always that like stupid feeling, which is probably not accurate most of the time, where you feel like people around you are talking about you if they're not speaking yes. your language, which it's yes. not often true. However, no. it's this weird self-consciousness that people just have. And it makes sense that in the workplace, if all of a sudden like everybody's speaking like let's say if I'm in the workplace, everyone's speaking Spanish, I don't speak Spanish, I might feel like they're talking about me and that would make me feel uncomfortable. Yeah. Or And even any, obviously, even if they're not talking about me, it's not the best situation, but I think that people tend to jump to that conclusion a lot, which is really funny. Yeah. Um, but would obviously contribute to that whole like idea of being ostracized or being yeah. an outsider. Definitely. And they even use that example, actually, in the very start of the paper. They have this little vignette that says, imagine that you enter a meeting room where some of your colleagues are already seated and your colleagues greet you in French. And um, that's the language that is generally spoken in your workplace. And then proceed to continue another conversation they were having before you walked in in Danish, a language that you don't really know. Um, and you're wondering why they didn't switch their conversation to French when you entered the room. Um, and now you're not sure whether your colleagues are talking about you or talking about some work issue that you should know about. Um, and in that instance, you feel kind of disconnected from them or slighted by them, like they don't care about your opinion. Um, and you can start to get kind of paranoid about it, thinking, well, you know, are they saying bad things about me? Are they trying to keep secrets from me? Whatever. And in this vignette, they say it turns out that they were just they were only talking about uh, having a recent snowstorm and uh, shoveling snow from a recent snowstorm, but they didn't. This person didn't realize that that's what they were talking about, so they left the room feeling kind of left out. Yeah. Um, so similarly, yes, I think it's a common thing that if you can't understand, your first thought is like it must be bad. <laughs> I know it's. I mean, everyone puts every, relates everything back to themselves, right? That's the way you perceive the world is from your what you're seeing and what you're feeling. So it's, it makes a lot of sense that this somehow goes back to you, even though most of the time it's not about you. Um, but it is an important thing to think about is how people are feeling around you when you're speaking, whatever language you might be speaking, make sure that you're being inclusive because I think there's a lot of, I mean, in Europe, I think that example is clearly like a European example. And it's probably very common in Europe to, um, be in these situations and probably some other continents, outside the u.s but in the u.s too like there's so many immigrants and yeah um you know in california there's a lot of spanish speakers so mm-hmm. one of my workplaces prior to where i am today a lot of people in the office spoke spanish and i took spanish in high school i don't speak it yeah. i can understand little bits and pieces so most of the time i could kind of tell if they that they weren't talking about me but right. that was the extent <laughs> of it um and it can be really frustrating if you you know are exactly going to a meeting or you're at work and everybody's speaking around you in a language that you don't understand and 
and not being able to know like if maybe you like you said if you should know that information or if they're just gossiping and even if they're just gossiping like why can't you be included in the gossip and right you know, most of the time I'm okay not being included in gossip but it's still just that like weird feeling um, yeah that you have for sure yeah and the way that they describe it is that cognitively that when you hear people having a conversation that you're unable to be a part of that it triggers something in you that starts making you think about who's in an in-group and who's in an out-group. And it makes you make assumptions that the people who are speaking to each other have something in common that you don't have in common with them. And so it triggers these in-group, out-group sorts of um, mentalities where you start to think like, okay, well, they're all connected to each other because of this thing that they share, and I'm not connected to them through that. So I'm part of the out group they're part of the in group and you start to see yourself as uh feeling what they call in the article and and what they measured in the article as disidentified from the group so you start to feel less connected and you start to feel less a part of things um Mm -hmm. in the workplace and so disidentification um is problematic because you know part some of the items are things like you know i'm i'm embarrassed to be a member of this work group or um i i'm upset uh, that I'm a member of this work group compared to other work groups. So disidentification um, is something that's obviously not good, but it triggers that process because it makes you feel different and mm-hmm. feel excluded from other people in the workplace. It's a, a hard thing too, because like my family, uh, my parents are immigrants from Poland. And I know that when they speak Polish in front of people that maybe don't speak Polish, it's really just a comfort thing that's it yeah you know what I mean it's just like I am comfortable in this language and there's somebody else here that's comfortable in this language and maybe I don't know how to express what I want to say in the common language and so I'm going to say this in my language and so it's like this really sad situation where people are probably just speaking to each other about the snowstorm because it's easier for them to speak about the snowstorm in Danish yeah but that excludes people. It's like this really, it's, you know, like, I don't think anyone's yeah. doing it mo- majority of the time. No. People aren't doing it intentionally. So it's just kind of a yeah. s- being aware of it and trying to, you know, alleviate that issue just by thinking, okay, well, yes, while it's harder for me to speak in French than it is in Danish, maybe I just do it. Or at least I can summarize what we talked about. At the You know, if we're still in the middle of a conversation, maybe after we stop, we could say, hey, sorry, we were just talking about the snowstorm or something like that. Right, exactly. And I, and they go out of their way in the article to say that this is not an intentional for the most part that this is not an intentional strategy that people use to exclude people and that's one of the reasons why they felt it was important to write the article because they thought that people might be doing it you mentioned uh european countries people speak a lot more languages than we do in the u.s um so there are a lot more opportunities for people to sort of go back and forth between different languages um because people have much more uh bilingualness <laughs> um mm-hmm. or trilingualness uh, um and so they um they talk about how like it's not meant to make other people feel excluded but it still has that impact and i think also it's important that it doesn't go so far in the other direction that you're not saying like, oh, well, you know, you have somebody that speaks the same language as you. And so you're never allowed to speak to them in the language that you both feel comfortable in, like on a break or at lunch or something like that. Like, you know, if it's not a work related setting where you're going to be 
excluding somebody else that's sitting there that can't understand what you're saying, then fine, you know, like take a break and use whatever language it is that you want to use. Um, but if you're, you know, talking where it could be interpreted that you're talking about something work related or you're speaking about, you know, personal things, but maybe the person's not sure if you're talking about them or not, that uh, they would recommend trying to, you know, be as inclusive as possible. The other piece of it is that they didn't look at what might happen if you did do something like explain what you were talking about or apologizing or, uh, you know, saying up front, like, oh, sometimes we like to, we just switch into this, but we don't even realize we're doing it. Like if it happens, just flag it up and we'll change back or, you know, they didn't talk about any kind of like strategies for addressing it because it's Mm -hmm. the first study to like even look at it but yeah yeah, they were really clear to say that it's not something people are doing on purpose and also that it shouldn't be like okay no one can ever speak the language that they're comfortable with um yeah but it's just more if there's like a third person and you know you're having a conversation it's just polite to include that person right exactly yeah it's not like a ban on other languages because that would be no 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 silly bad and and to your point like you know I could go in and let's say my boss and I both speak French and that's our native language and we go into um, our one-on-one meeting and we do it in French who cares but when I'm in a big meeting with French and English speakers and I'm only speaking French like that's unfair right so it's, it's really trying to be polite and considerate and keeping everybody kind of in the loop of what's going on so I I mean it's important it's important to think about the the broader group but everything here we're talking about well first you know what before I get into my other thoughts I would love to hear more about like what was found in the study yeah sure so they found across two different studies that feelings of linguistic ostracism, which again is just feeling left out because people are speaking another language, and they made some new items uh, to measure this for this particular study. So the items are um, speak. Uh, the items are uh, others leave me out of conversations at work by changing from one language that I understand to another that I don't understand, speaking in a language that I don't understand, talking to one another in a language that I don't understand holding informal discussions in a language I don't understand, making jokes in a language that I don't understand. Mm -hmm. So um, those are the items that they made. Um, And basically what they found was that when people do those things at work, it causes you to feel upset or embarrassed to be a part of the work group. You don't feel like you're a part of things. And so you're less likely to go out of your way to help other people because you just feel less connected to the group. So um, that's called citizenship behavior. And we've talked about that before on here. But just for people listening, um, going out of your way to be a good citizen, uh, helping people who uh, need to learn something um, that they don't know how to do or uh, staying late to help a colleague finish something. Um, When you feel less connected to the group, you're less likely to go out of your way to help others. So um, when you're disidentified because you feel like you've been left out linguistically, you're less likely to help others and you're more likely to try to um, be deviant towards others at work. So you might be more likely to use profanity towards other people in the workplace or be generally like gruff or, um, gossip about people or undermine people mm-hmm. so um the paper basically showed that this linguistic ostracism is bad the only thing that buffers some of these relationships was this idea of social self-efficacy which is basically just having confidence that you can change social situations for the better so yeah i might be left out um linguistically by my colleagues 
but I'm confident that there are other things that I can do to rebuild this relationship or I can extend an olive branch and try to make my relationship with them stronger so that um, I don't become disidentified um, in the long run. So uh, things like, you know, I'm really good at making friends and I have personal, I'm very skilled at uh, making new personal relationships or contacts. If you feel that you're really good at those things, then it sort of buffers the relationship between when I feel left out, I'm less likely to get to the stage where I feel disidentified because I try to go out of my way to rebuild those relationships or I'm confident that I could if I wanted to. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. So it's basically like if you're feeling left out because of the language barrier or people using different languages around you that you don't understand, you're less likely to feel like you're part of the group and therefore you're not likely to help people. Yeah. However, if you are the person that feels like you can build relationships well, you do potentially do things, right? Maybe you speak up and say, hey, guys, can we speak English? Because I just don't really know what's going on. Or, mm-hmm. you know, you feel confident enough to probably make those steps, which will mm-hmm. then stop you from feeling this. Um, oh, gosh, I already forgot the word. <laughs> but basically stop you from feeling um, excluded from the group. Yeah. So you... Yep. You do things to help yourself stay included, and then you're going to not have those negative consequences of this language issue. So that makes a lot of sense. So basically, if you're one of those people that's confident and can actually confident in your social skills and can make an impact there, you're you're good to go. But if you're someone that maybe feels a little bit less comfortable in a social situation, then this can have some pretty negative impacts on your um your work environment because you're not going to feel included and you're going to feel like I mean you just don't really care about the team because you're not part of it right and people generally that feel more efficacious just have like socially just have a higher likelihood that they're going to be like okay you know what I'm going to be the one that tries to fix this so instead of like oh I feel left out um so I'm gonna like withdraw from the situation and I'm just not gonna try to be a part of the group anymore you're more likely to be like you know what let me give it a try and and because this is not intentional in in all likelihood even though they didn't measure it in the paper when you do that you probably get a positive response from people if you're like hey you know I was feeling a little left out like I couldn't understand what anyone was saying because they're not doing it intentionally the response is probably oh so sorry like We'll try to, you know, work on that next time so that you mm-hmm. can understand what we're saying. And then you might be able to repair the relationship. So there's still a negative impact. It's it's still worse than if it had never happened, uh, f- even for people who are high on this. Um, but it it helps to make the impact of it less. Yeah, that makes sense. That's really interesting. I mean, I think it's a really great, like, piece of research to, to understand some of this cross-cultural stuff that's going on because it's really yeah. it's happening everywhere the thing that I wanted to bring up earlier so it, I mean the results are relatively straightforward and they make a lot of sense yeah but I'm curious as to how this would play out in different contexts so for example if I'm living in France and I walk in and there's people speaking Dutch and I don't understand them and you know we're in this group where we're always face to face in this type of situation, I wonder if yeah. there's a stronger effect there than if you're working cross-culturally across country lines. So, like, I mm-hmm. work with, you know, teams across the world within our company and, you know, I'll talk to people in Asia and in Europe and whatever. And sometimes there have been moments where people will speak another language on the phone 
But mm-hmm. then, but it's almost, first of all, it's almost always very clear that the reason why they're speaking this other language is they're trying to communicate a thought um, in, to, the, to the group, you know, in whatever location that maybe not that person that wants to communicate that thought doesn't speak English well enough. So then they yeah. speak it to the rest of the group and then somebody from the group will articulate it to the broader audience that's on the phone right, from all right. over the world. So I feel like there's probably a bit of a difference there. Cause like, I don't feel excluded when someone speaks Chinese on the phone just because I don't know Chinese, but I know why they're like, it's very evident, at least in my opinion, right. what like I can tell that's what's going on because there'll be a little bit of chit chat. And then all of a sudden one person will come out and say what happened. So right. I think that's a really different situation than if you are in a physical location and having these types of conversations. I don't know. Yeah. What do you think? No, I think, and I also think that sometimes there's just not, there are concepts in other cultures or, or you know, different concepts in different cultures that don't have a literal translation. Um, so I've also seen people like, it's like this idea. I mean, there are certain words that, you know, like schadenfreude, for example, like that word doesn't really have a direct English translation. Like that's a, a German word for an emotion that exists that we don't have a word for, right? We can describe it, but we don't have a word for it. So like there are sometimes also times where it's just like I'm trying to communicate something and I'm not quite sure what the translation would be. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I think that certainly there are different ways that this might play out where people would be more understanding. And I think because of the um items uh that they have in the scale it leaves that open for interpretation like it basically is just asking you like do sometimes people speak around you in ways that you don't understand but i could imagine that like it would matter contextually if you understood the rationale for it Mm -hmm. or if it just seemed like it was that nobody was noticing that you didn't understand um and i think also it might matter you know what the implication for like the motivation for it is like when we send um, interns, uh, well, this is experience that I had in previous institution. I haven't been at this institution long enough to know. But um, when we would send interns cross-culturally, sometimes it would be frustrating because they would go and be like, oh, you know, I'm going to go over and, you know, work in Italy. And basically, like, all the interns would just clump together and speak English to, to each other all day and mm. not really, like, immerse themselves in the culture or try to um you know get to know other people or think about whether or not other people would be like okay these interns are sitting here speaking to each other and maybe most people in their workplace understood um because you know a lot of italian people also speak english but if somebody didn't like you know oh these american interns just sit and talk to each other all day and i don't really know what they're saying um could be a you know there there could be a you know imagined rationalization for that like they don't care or they think they're better than us or you know what I mean like there are Mm -hmm. all different ways that people could interpret that whereas I think like in the case that you're bringing up it's clear that the rationale for that behavior is not like I'm trying to stay with just people from my own country or I'm trying to exclude people it's like there's there's something that everybody understands is going on that's making that happen yeah I agree and I think that like I mean, I think even the example you just gave, it's it's very different in person versus not in person. Because if you're in person, you see it and feel it more of the day than when you're doing a call 
across countries. So like you could be on a team with people in multiple parts of the world, but you're working different hours and you're probably only actually speaking to those people every once in a while on a call. A lot of the communication is going to be via email or some sort of other method. You're not going to be necessarily talking on the phone with them all the time or being in person in a meeting with them or in you know walking through the office and seeing them talking to other people so like your relationship in those teams they're harder to build of course because you just aren't working in the same time zones but they're also completely different and probably a little bit more work focused to be honest so you know we get on a call you're going to be speaking about that meeting because it is 4 a.m for somebody and 8 p.m for somebody and whatever and so everyone's there for that purpose and to get the work done so there's less of that like fuzzy what are they chit-chatting about in this corner over here um that we just don't understand right yeah yep i think that makes a lot of sense and less opportunity um, when everybody's focused on one thing for side conversations to be happening, then there is, you know, in the workplace where you might be seeing people and trying to talk about multiple things at once. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I think that makes perfect sense. Um, yeah. So basically what they, you know, suggest people do is to just be more mindful of who's around and just like, you know, you wouldn't want to have a conversation about something that someone knows absolutely nothing about um, and keep continuing that conversation uh, even though that person's standing there trying to participate and maybe doesn't have much to say about it because it's not as polite as it could be. Um, It's the same thing here. Like if you have the opportunity to be more inclusive in your communication, you should try to be more inclusive in your communication. Again, not saying that workplaces should say nobody can speak in their native language to one another, um, but just when you have another person there that's trying to be a part of the group, that uh, you might want to be more mindful about whether or not you're making them feel excluded if they can't understand what's going on. Exactly. Yep. I totally agree with that. I think being mindful makes sense. You know, trying to speak the common language across everybody um, as much as possible. And if there are cases where you don't know how to translate something or you need to try to express a thought to somebody that speaks the same language as you to then be able to help you translate it, like you can make it very clear that's happening, you know, say like, oh, this Uh, oh, I'm trying to figure out how to say blah, blah, blah. And you say it in your own language and then maybe people can help you. Or, you know, if in the case of someone walking into a room and you're speaking a language, you can switch or you can finish the thought and then just, you know, apologize and say and give someone a hint as to what you're talking about so they don't feel like, you know, you stopped talking when they got, came in the room in your language yeah. and like all the, like there's so many things that could people just automatically start to think even if they don't even if they know it's not true even if they know you really well it's hard to not think those things yeah Um, and I think managers too can like really model this behavior because I'm sure in a lot of these examples that we're talking about like in Europe or in even in the U.S. and maybe certain cities where there's a lot more um, diversity of language Mm-hmm. I think that managers can model that behavior because of course there's going to be again back to my old workplace like a lot of people spoke Spanish in the workplace and managers that spoke Spanish and if the managers are free you know freely speaking Spanish in front of only English speakers um, a lot then other people are going to feel like that's totally fine and appropriate behavior and not even think twice like you're not right. thinking about it right if your manager's doing it and then you start doing it and it's totally fine then that's a problem but if a manager is like oh you know, I'm noticing the audience is maybe not all Spanish speakers. So I'm going to 
change and adjust, then other people might start to pick up on that behavior too. So that um, if everyone's kind of aligned in their approach as to how to handle the fact that there's multiple languages within the organization. Yeah. And I think one other thing that came out was just like people that feel more confident in their ability to build social relationships feel Mm -hmm. more equipped to address it in a, you know, a very like friendly, amicable manner that, you know, hey, I feel a little left out when this happens. Is there a way that we could figure out um, how to get around that? That maybe in uh, teams that or in organizations that have a lot of cross-cultural communication, not just training people to be aware that they should be inclusive in the way that they're speaking and managers should role model it, but also you might be able to train people to feel more like they have tools to um, have positive relationships. So Mm. maybe like relationship building courses or things like that might be even more important in those kinds of environments in case there is some kind of like a mix up or a miscommunication that people feel like they can work it out on their own without having it just like continue to grow uh, more and more awkward. Oh, I totally agree. I mean, I think that there's a lot of organizations that work cross-culturally that will do trainings around how do you have conversations around things you know around cultures that you might not understand and I think language is a big piece of that too you know so how do you talk to other people when you might feel left out or I mean if we're going to go broader cross-cultural stuff like they said something that's offensive to your culture but it not be offensive to their culture so how do you address that conflict it doesn't need to explode into something because majority of the time people are not doing that stuff intentionally when it's a cross-cultural situation because we just aren't familiar with each other's cultures and so the same kind of comes with language so it's like how do you you could definitely train and coach people on how to have those conversations that hey like next time do you mind just switching to English when I'm around because I would love to be a part of that conversation and how do you have that conversation without making it seem accusatory because then as soon as you do that then the other person becomes defensive and then escalates for literally no reason so helping give people the tools to have those conversations so that they're not escalating them accidentally yeah that makes total sense yep I totally agree wow yeah I think that this is uh, just a new area of research where probably, you know, more people will start to build on some of the boundaries that we talked about. Like, well, what if people are aware of the rationale for it? Or what if people apologize for it? Or what if it's in a context where people don't expect that other people are going to, you know, be speaking um, a language that they can understand all the time like there are certainly some other boundary conditions to this I think but I think it's an interesting initial study just to take mm-hmm. a look at you know how much language matters and how much people feel um, sort of you know included based on language um, because nobody's looked at that before so um, yeah. definitely an interesting new stream of research it is really interesting um, and I have a funny little anecdote around language that I want to share. <laughs> like, yeah. So I have two clients in France and they only speak French, mm-hmm. which you can imagine is really fun when I cannot speak to my own clients. Yeah. So <laughs> I get on all these calls. So there's um, the way that we're structured. It's like there's a behavioral scientist like myself and then there's a customer success manager that is assigned to each account. Mm-hmm. And our customer success manager that's signed is a French Canadian girl. So she speaks French and so okay. she does all the communication, right? So we do like all these prep meetings in advance. And when I say like, here's the messaging for my slides, here's what I would want to say. And then I basically get on a call 
Um, and she does the entire presentation in French. And I just sit there until I hear someone <laughs> say, Patricia, um, can you answer this question for me? <laughs> so I spend like hours just sitting. I mean, obviously I'm multitasking, right? I'm like answering right, emails and doing right. other things, but I'm just sitting there as people are speaking French in my headphones. It's That's so really funny. funny. <laughs> that is really, really funny. I know, yeah. but it makes me really wish I spoke French because that would be yeah. way more fun yeah, and more productive. That's true. But that's true it is what it is I feel like uh I feel like it's also kind of funny because like ostensibly like the person saying what you think they're saying but they could also not be (laughs) (laughs) I know I know (laughs) it's very true kind of another like funny thing you're like okay here's everything you're supposed to say and then like you're just like I guess that's what they're saying. Yeah, you're hoping, right? <laughs> I know. It's funny, too, because, like, a lot of times it's around data and statistics and, like, something from the science perspective that, like, you know, our CSMs obviously have heard us present this information before and they have familiarity with it. But yeah. it's not their expertise. So right. it's just, like, funny that they're presenting, like, she's presenting yeah, this, yeah. like, data and, like... Right. I'll, I'll basically be like so the d statistic means this and i'm like i don't even know like and then she translates yeah. it to french but it's also probably not like terms that she uses in right, french very right. often so it's right. like a really funny yes. it's a funny yeah, situation that is, <laughs> that is very interesting yeah um well maybe you could get one of those like rosetta stone things and try to learn a little french and do just just learn how to say statistical terms in french yeah well i always I'm, i i love the beginning of the calls i was like bonjour get so excited yeah. i'm like yay <laughs> everyone's speaking french i mean it's very like, pretty that's it that's all i that's yeah, all i got <laughs> done i know it's very pretty though so at least that's kind of fun and it's actually yeah. really interesting because I don't speak French or French Canadian, obviously. And, you know, they are different in yeah. some ways. And I can, and I'm surprised that I can hear the difference. Like that really surprised me. I was like, oh, I can see the way that Alexandra, my CSM, says some things compared to yeah. what French clients do, like the way they pronounce it. It's like a little bit different. Like clearly they can still communicate, just kind of like how Spanish, right? right? Like Spanish in Argentina versus Spanish in Spain yeah, are pretty, yeah. have some differences. But I think that, at least for me, I hadn't really thought about it in terms of French-Canadian and France French. Yeah, So, yeah. like, I just was like, okay, that's, I don't know. I thought that was really interesting to hear, too. But anyways, yeah, that's my other that is. side note story on language at work. <laughs> I like that. Yeah, my only um, side note story is that one time I was giving an assessment in Brazil. And in Brazil, like, the conversational Portuguese is really different from formal Portuguese. So like nobody speaks formal Portuguese Mm -hmm. and we were giving an assessment and they asked us to give it in um, Portuguese. And uh, we did not do a good job of like the translational uh, end of things or like doing due diligence on like what form of Portuguese it should be. So I was the one that was like over, you know, I was uh, coordinating and organizing this uh, day of different assessments and um, the the cognitive ability assessment that we gave was in formal Portuguese and um, at, like in the middle, like around the same exact time, like everybody in the room was just like laughing and <laughs> I was like, what's going on? And they were like, well, we don't really, A, this isn't really the language we speak, so we're having a little trouble deciphering some of this stuff, just so you know. It's not horrible, but it's not quite right. But B, they're 
different words that we use for different things in formal Portuguese. And the word, the passage was about a cat that was in a tree. I don't know mm-hmm. why the passage <laughs> was about a cat that was in a tree, but it was. But the formal word for cat in Portuguese is the same word as prostitute in like the informal Portuguese. Oh so no. <laughs> the way they were reading the story was like that there's this like prostitute stuck in a tree and like the police are coming to try to get her out and she's like meowing at them and she <laughs> won't come down. Like, it's a whole long story and they were like, yeah, this story is really interesting like from <laughs> our interpretation, but I don't think that's what it's supposed to be. And I was like, no, I don't think that that's what it's supposed to be. And then obviously we couldn't even use the scores from it because it was just like not yeah, the right test. Too so that far was like a big, that was a big mistake. But yeah, they were like, that was a very interesting story. That's really <laughs> funny. Oh yeah. my God. I mean, that's similar to the French Canadian French thing. Cause we had a translation in French and then our French Canadian clients were like, uh, uh-uh, uh, we can't do this. This is not right. And I was like, Oh, well, yeah. I was not personally like, oh, because I was not in charge of the translations. But yeah. <laughs> I learned later that there is enough of a difference that we had to have true translations because the French Canadians um, yeah. were very upset about yeah. being just about using just, you know, normal or what we would consider yeah, normal right. French. And uh, right. And I'm sure that in France, if they got a French Canadian version, they would scoff at it as well. So, yeah, it doesn't really make sense. And sometimes you can get really really uh, convoluted stories <laughs> that don't really that don't really work <laughs> the sex worker so, yeah. in the tree oh boy. yeah right right <laughs> yep there there it is it was and meowing the at the police, police. <laughs> yeah they, she just kept climbing higher and higher the more they tried to get her to come down and we're like what the heck? <laughs> oh, man that is so oh, funny that is so yep. good so oh, good man. anyway <sighs> Well, language is fun. <laughs> yes, it is. Uh, but yeah, hopefully this is a helpful first step in trying to understand some of these issues. And, yeah, I um, think it is. We can follow back up if anything new comes out. Yes. Thank you so much for sharing this article. I thought it was really interesting and definitely a different topic area. Um, and we'd love to hear from you, all of our fabulous listeners, about your experience with language in the workplace or you know, what your thoughts are in this topic or maybe some additional research areas that we haven't thought of as we've been talking through this. So please reach out. Let us know your thoughts. You can email us at workerbeing at gmail.com. You can find us on social media at workerbeing on Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn, and Facebook. And you can find us on our website at workerbeing.com. Thanks for listening. Thank you. The Worker Being Podcast is hosted by us, Patricia Grabar and Katina Sawyer, and produced by Allie Johnson. Mm-hmm.